Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Fury Tales, the podcast dedicated to providing you with chilling tales and the history behind all your favorite frights and fears. This is your lone wolf host, Paul Dennis. At least once a month, sometimes twice, the world is blessed with the sight of a perfect orb of rock and light in the sky during the night. Tonight could be one such night, the night of the full moon. The lunar cycle is still steeped in much mystery and intrigue, despite the scientific findings we've collected over the years. Many believe it has a way of influencing nature, both human, animal, and plants. Pagans perform their magics according to the cycles. Even the ancient Greeks believed that the moon influenced fertility, making offerings to their goddess Luna whom we derive the word lunatic from to describe a person mad from gazing at the moon long enough. What happens then when that madness overtakes us? What happens when the moon shifts us and changes us, bringing out the beast from within? Many cultures dating back to the era of Vikings have stories explaining men who wear the skin of beasts, driven mad by the changing moon. Lycanthropes, wolfmen, Whatever you want to call them, let me take you into a world where the terrors that stalk the night are bigger and badder than you'll ever imagine. Howl at the moon, join my pack, and let us explore the legend behind the werewolf. Now, grab a warm drink for this cool night. Lock the doors. Check under the bed and in the closet. Settle into your favorite seat and listen closely. It's time for another fairy tale. Once upon a time, a priest from a thriving village in Ireland was traveling to a nearby town on business for his church. The priest's journey across the countryside was long and arduous, and as night grew near, he was forced to set up camp near a dark forest that was reputed to be haunted. During the night, the priest heard a clawing and scratching outside his tent. When he went out to investigate, he was attacked by a wolf. He was bitten severely, and just as he thought the wolf was about to finish him off, the cross around his neck was exposed. The wolf suddenly ceased its attack and merely stood over him, staring into his eyes. Then, inexplicably, it ran off and left him lying on the ground, bleeding badly from his wounds. The next day, he managed to crawl back to his village, where he was discovered by the local doctor. With good medical care, his wounds soon healed and he was back to work in no time. The priest was re-energized and tackled his preaching duties with renewed vigor. He inspired the villagers and helped them to build a new church. The faith of his parishioners was strengthened and every day his church was packed with worshippers. But there were still problems in the village. Every full moon, someone in the village was found dead or went missing under mysterious circumstances. 
People said that they had seen a creature stalking through the village at night. A creature that walked like a man, but whose body was covered in fur and bore the head of a wolf. There was talk of a curse on the village, and many believed that a werewolf was stalking them and picking them off one by one. The priest began to wonder why God had cursed his village with these horrible murders. It seemed as if there was no end to the death and destruction. One night, during a full moon, the villagers decided that they had to catch and kill the werewolf that was plaguing their village once and for all. They set a trap by tying the most beautiful girl in the village to a tree, using her as bait to lure the werewolf. High above, in the branches of the tree, they rigged up a trap to catch the wolf. Then they hid in the bushes and lay in wait for their prey. Soon they heard a crashing sound coming through the forest and suddenly the werewolf appeared in the clearing. As it made its way toward the terrified young girl, the villagers cut the ropes that were tied to the tree and a huge cage crashed down on top of the wolf trapping him beneath its heavy iron bars. The jubilant villagers rushed out from their hiding places and drove long spears into the body of the werewolf, piercing its heart. As the monster collapsed on the floor of the cage, the people watched his hairy body ripple and change. Gradually, the creature changed from wolf to man as the life ebbed from his body the villagers fell to their knees and began to weep as they realized that they had killed the beloved priest. The werewolf, or the loup-garou in French, has a very long and storied history in all its various formats. We have to go back to when civilization was first telling stories, and we can see that even back then, in the early BC years when these uh, ancient people would be telling stories, they'd always have these ideas of people becoming more than human, uh, beasts or devils or something like that. So we start with the Proto-Indian-European mythology, where we have many pagan cults who would have warrior initiations involving the members of their tribe hunting down wolves and wearing its skin. This would show that they were effectively moving from these gatherer roles to the more hunter roles and using these animal skins to become one with the spirit and one with nature. Moving up into Grecan history, we have Herodotus who wrote of a tribe in Scythia that they would transform into wolves once a year, just out of the blue. The story goes that the town was cursed uh, through various means, and this is how they had to play through that. Uh, there was also a mortal Lyconian who was transformed into a wolf by Zeus due to his ritual slaying of a child. It's another instance of a curse that would get written. 
uh, on the flip side, in the Roman category, we have Virgil, not the writer of the Divine Comedy, but a different poet from back then who wrote of humans being transformed into wolves in many of his poems. We see this recurring theme come in throughout these stories. Uh, Pliny the Elder, who wrote a lot of mythological stories that we still reference today, he wrote of a man who swam across an Arcadian lake and was then transformed into a wolf. He was given these conditions that he could not eat of any human for nine years, and then he would be allowed to swim back and become human once more. Now, stories of werewolves in England where they eventually moved to, were actually really suppressed by the Christians before the 14th century. And this was due to their link to many of the Germanic pagan beliefs, where, of course, most paganism views nature and animals and everything as kind of a cycle, whereas early Christians wanted to move away from that and put everything into the one God, the one Savior category. So over in the Germanic pagans, we did have the Norse who brought a lot of their stories into the rest of Europe as they conquered lands and established all these trade routes. They actually had these specific warriors called the Ofhednar, who were berserker warriors that would wear the skins of wolves. And according to the Volsung sagas, they would actually become wolves when they fought. Uh, berserkers were these warriors that would actually go into battle armorless or wearing just skins as we discussed. They would wield these deal, dual axes and they would fight with this ferocity that would frighten their foes. So of course you could imagine these stories of these fur-wearing maniacs who would come out from the thick of battle just wailing on them with their what they called their teeth and their fangs. So we move into the modern era. Uh, stories of Vikings actually became split between Eastern and Western Europe. Uh, the West started viewing them as evil and closer to witches and the like. Uh, and the East saw them more as revenants or more vampire-like. There was actually a huge upswing of werewolf trials uh, in Switzerland, and actually they branched out into the rest of Europe, but the start of them was in the early 15th century. They had these links to witchcraft where a lot of, of the citizens of the time believed that witches used wolf transformations to grant a, a familiar or to curse somebody, or even the witches themselves could transform into these various creatures. Uh, so in these werewolf trials, many of the accused actually supported the claims. They didn't argue about it. They would just try to justify their actions or the accusations put on them by telling others that they were given the wolfskin by another, usually a witch or sometimes even Satan himself. Uh, persecution of wolf charmers was most prevalent in Bavaria and Austria and a lot of the Eastern European countries, as we mentioned. There were werewolf sightings and claims most prevalent starting in the 16th century and lasting well into the end of the 19th century. Uh, many would actually use the stories of werewolves and pass them along to explain what we now know today as serial killers. In fact, other countries would pick up these same kind of stories and just adapt it to animals native to their land. Since wolves were a common predator in much of Europe, other nations would use things such as were-tigers and were-hyenas. 
as I mentioned, a lot of these serial killers of the time were explained through werewolves, such as Peter Stump in 1589, uh, you had Gilles Darnier in 1573, and actually a more recent one in Europe, uh, Fritz Harman in 1918. So now let's look at the actual characteristics of the werewolf because that has also shifted throughout time and according to the stories and the location. The transformation into a werewolf could vary depending on where they get their power from. A lot of time the transformation was an actual physical transformation from man to wolf and the stories would actually go that you could tell who was a werewolf because they would have very wolfish features in human form. Uh, they also had stories of body doubles where you would stay as a man, but you would also have a wolf counterpart, and some just have you soul traveling to a wolf form. Uh, you could also tell a werewolf uh, as opposed to a regular wolf because most of them did not have tails and they walked on two legs or they were bipedal. The full moon tie-in is actually interesting, and that goes back to its link to witchcraft uh, due to their proximity to the witch legends, where the full moon brought power to people and magic was at its height on the full moon. This led to this belief that, of course, this is when the werewolves would strike hardest and biggest. Now, science today does actually show that people tend to be more aggressive or passionate during the full moons due to its influence on the water that makes up our body. So there is some basis here to what the ancient people and the older people from the old country would actually see with some people, especially ones that might have acted a little bit different during those moments. Uh, the actual full moon tie-in itself did not become prevalent in modern stories until Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943, one of the classic Universal Monster movies. There were actually a lot of different causes for how the transformation could come about. Uh, starting in the early ages, the stories were the putting on of wolfskins or a clothing made from wolfskins. Sometimes even just a belt that was cursed could actually change you. Uh, we also see a lot of curses from witches and actually religious figures and Catholic saints claim to have these powers or the saints when they were excommunicated from the church would become wolves themselves. Uh, there are some legends that state that you can sleep under a full moon on a certain Wednesday or Friday, both days of power, as we've talked about before, uh, to cause this transformation. Uh, many of the transformations could be learned via magic, again, time back in the witchcraft and being able to transform yourself on will. In more recent literature, the curse could actually be transferred to others via bites or scratches, similar to vampires and zombies. Some stories say that you have to hunt for your first meal by the first full moon after exposure to it to allow the curse to take place, while still others say you can only be cured before the first full moon. So no matter what, if you've hunted and you've lasted till that first full moon, you are completely a werewolf. No going back. There actually have been quite a few remedies that have popped up in a lot of these stories or tales. The ancient Greeks claim that exhaustion could actually cure it, meaning you drive a person, keep them up, make them do all these laborious exercises, and then they would be cured of their uh, lycanthropy. 
other stories. Of course, this became more popular during the witch trials and werewolf trials, but a conversion to Christianity or speaking the Catholic name of the wolf. And even in Danish culture, just scolding the wolf would cure it. Uh, there are medicines made of wolf's bane that could also cure it in legends, made it to potions or just any kind of poultice to be applied to it. That would be fine. Now, of course, there are some weaknesses that popped up later on. While most wolves are mortal and can die by normal means, a lot of the later stories and more recent literature say that they are immune to all weapons except for those made of silver. Now, there are some links to some other stories where people might get them a little bit confused. There are shapeshifters or transmogrifiers that could transform themselves into a wolf, but also other figures or animals. Uh, and then there's the skinwalkers. While well, those are more linked to Native American lore and legend, they do have a lot of similarities to the stories of the werewolf. Uh, these are typically witches or witch doctors back then that could transform herself into any animal and they would usually pick a wolf. Uh, there is some link to shamanism as well in soul walking. As I mentioned earlier, one of the ways to transform was to have you go into the soul of a wolf. So again, a lot of the North American culture and the Native Americans would believe these kind of things. It wasn't a physical transformation. It was a transformation of the mind into the body. So not only do we have these stories going throughout history and these legends and these actual reports of wolf creatures attacking livestock, children, family members, things like that, but of course in the fictional world we have grabbed onto these creatures as basis for villains and sometimes protagonists. Uh, a lot of famous movies have been made about werewolves. In fact, one of them is about werewolves versus vampires, which has become a popular kind of trope that we throw in there. Uh, it's the Underworld series. Uh, we also have a pro-feminist movie that actually helped uh, a lot of women throughout the 90s and 2000s kind of reassert themselves as powerful with Ginger Snaps, where Ginger becomes a werewolf and fights back against men who had done her wrong. Uh, one of the biggest that people claim has really helped shape the modern era of the werewolf was the Howling series. It's actually three novels that became movies, and the movies branched out over eight different movies with sequels, prequels, spinoffs, all kinds of stuff, really putting a lot of these stories and legends into a more visual format and kind of tying it into one kind of lore. Uh, there was also the, the 1957 movie, I Was a Teenage Werewolf, which helped again to revitalize the Universal Monster movies of the 1940s into a new format. Uh, in along the lines of a lot of different horror movies around that time, kind of put the setting and the theme into a different hand. Um, and of course, the sexual undertones of watch out who you're bringing back home. On TV, we've got a lot more to pull from. Uh, Netflix did a recent show called Hemlock Grove where it had a Romani person or family that was cursed with werewolf, which ties back into the Eastern European thinking of those outsiders who could become these different creatures just depending on their family history. Uh, we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Uh, a lot of Season 4 episodes featured some werewolves tie-ins uh, we got to bring in. And of course, more vampires against 
werewolves, different things that we get to see. Uh, Doctor Who has tackled werewolves with a recent, uh, semi-recent episode called Tooth and Claw in their fourth season, explaining how the Doctor fought against the werewolves, attacking the Queen of England, and the Queen deciding that the Doctor was evil because she didn't believe that the werewolves were attacking. Uh, we have the Teen Wolf reboot that saw some recent success on MTV over the last few years. More shows such as The Gates, uh, Penny Dreadful, which has different kinds of literature stories, Frankenstein, Jekyll and Hyde. Of course, you're going to bring in some Wolfmen. Uh, Vampire Diaries, which was also based on a book, brought these werewolves into a new light. More vampires versus werewolves. Um, True Blood had a couple werewolves and actually panthers as well and some different kind of werewolf creatures. Uh, and had one of the best werewolves, in my opinion, because of his personality and the, the way that they kind of still went with the primal, primitive nature of werewolves in their human form, but gave them a little bit more of a backstory. The only reason that Alcee, the biggest werewolf in True Blood, isn't one of my favorites is because I really wasn't a fan of his storyline near the end, but still a good watch, still a good werewolf. And of course we have Supernatural, which has tackled every single monster and mythical creature. Uh, one of the first instances of the werewolf actually gave us a more emotional storyline where we got to see the boys unknowingly befriend a werewolf and have to decide is the cost of keeping somebody alive who may not always be a monster, does it really outweigh the potential for death and destruction? And in the end... Unfortunately, they did have to take out that werewolf, but this theme has come up along the lines of not every monster is always a monster, and how do you handle that? In books, of course, we have, as I mentioned, The Howling, Vampire Diaries. Uh, we have the Twilight series, which features more of a shapeshifter and not a true werewolf, more back into the Native American lore side of things. Stephen King has tackled the werewolf series with the cycle of the werewolf, starring with Lester Lowe as the main character there. And Harry Potter has also tackled it because of their history with mythological creatures, griffins and vampires as well. Uh, they had Remus Lupin, who was more of the camp where he didn't want to be a werewolf. He fought hard against the transformation. He would lock himself away for fear of hurting somebody. And then on the other side of that coin, we had Fenrir Greyback, who was very passionate about being a werewolf and wanted to transform everybody else into werewolves. He believed that werewolves were the superior race. Uh, wolves, of course, have been in many, many, many songs. A lot of them are rock songs and metal songs. Uh, we do have a pop song. We have Hungry Like the Wolf. Uh, we have Of Wolf and Man by Metallica, Bark at the Moon by Ozzy Osbourne, all dealing with becoming that wolf or being kind of a predator in that sense. Uh, in video games, of course, the biggest one that you can handle these and have tackled werewolves in a lot of different formats. Skyrim has done their own werewolf take. Uh, they also have vampires, although I've never seen those two come together. Uh, there's an RPG game where you actually get to be a druid uh, that transforms into a actual werewolf in their wolf form. It's the game called Pillars of Eternity. Uh, it's quite a surprise to see that because you're used to seeing the four-legged version of these and to see this big bipedal claws out monster. 
monster coming on your screen was actually really nice. Uh, it was a card game that's been adapted and actually became very popular and had a lot of spinoffs, but the first one was One Night Ultimate Werewolf, where one player is mysteriously a werewolf or maybe multiple, others can see who the werewolves are, and most everybody else is a townsperson. If you can't figure out who the werewolf is, your team's going to lose. The humans are going to lose. Uh, back in the 90s on the Sega Genesis, we had Altered Beast, where you're a human that could transform into a wolf to gain some power. You even have video games like The Sims tackling this with their supernatural expansion, giving you wolf families along with vampires, fairies, ghosts, mummies. Uh, the werewolves could live slightly longer, had more power, more athletics, tying back into that recognizable lore. Uh, we have a DC comic series that became a game called The Wolf Among Us, where you play as Bigby Wolf, who was the big bad wolf in the fairy tale world, uh, brought into the human modern world. So he looks mostly human, but he's got those wolfish features, and he can become more wolf-like the more angry or upset or panicky he gets. And the big MMORPG World of Warcraft brought in werewolves in a very classic form. In fact, while it's a typically all of it's a fantasy setting, the worgen, as they're called in this, come from a very Victorian-style looking setting. Uh, the curse was brought on by werewolves, worgen who couldn't transform into humans. They were actually wolves, but they could infect the humans and transform them. And throughout the course of the game, when they're introduced, you can play as one of these characters and you go through the storyline where you find your humanity and you're able to transform back uh, on your own will so it's a, a really nice thing and actually one of my favorite races to play just again because I'm such a big fan of werewolves so I wanted to end this on more of a subjective term this time uh, where I wanted to go into the top five of what I think are the best werewolf portrayals. Of course, this is not everybody's. A lot of people have different views on the werewolves and you know who they like. Uh, this is just who I would rank out in no real specific order. Uh, one of my favorites was more recent from the 2011 U.S. edition of Being Human. Uh, there was a European edition as well. I haven't really watched that one. Couldn't really get into it, but I love the... Uh, American remake. I watched the whole thing. My favorite was Josh because he was, again, kind of like Remus Lupin in the Harry Potter series. He was a more reluctant werewolf. He didn't want to be this, but he was able to tap into it when it really mattered, especially when his sister got infected and he had to fight back against the vampires encroaching on his territory. And mostly he just wanted to live a normal life as best he could. Uh, more in the comedy category, we have the original Teen Wolf from 1985, portrayed by Michael J. Fox. Uh, he was a werewolf that could transform, and he was a huge basketball star. Not scary at all, just a more comedic setting. But I think the change-up from the typical dark, brooding beast was a real nice thing to do in the 80s. Uh, in 1981 as well, we had another kind of dark comedy with American Werewolf in London, with that one being portrayed by David Naughton. Uh, one of my other favorites, though, was, again, more recent within the last 20 years. Uh, the movie itself 
came with a lot of criticism, but it's actually one of my favorites. It's Van Helsing, where it's a different version of the Van Helsing from the Dracula novels fighting off against different monsters. In the movie, he actually fights mostly against Dracula, but he meets the Frankenstein monster, who will definitely be tackling eventually as well as Dracula and the real Van Helsing himself. Uh, but in there, he does get stretched by a rogue werewolf. Uh, he's trying to fight the transformation to make it last until he can finally, as is predicted, that he is going to have to transform and face off against what we find out is his brother, Dracula. So a really fun one. The werewolf is big and scary. The fight scene was amazing. Just seeing all this happen. Uh, it was a great action monster movie with some of the universal monsters that Wish had gone a little bit further. Uh, but we can't really go into all of these other werewolves that we've talked about. You know, we have the lore, we have the stories, we have these legends, we have the more modern depictions of these on the screen and on video games. But these modern ones couldn't have been where they were if it wasn't for the first Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr. In 1941, uh, the Universal was pitching a whole lot of these monster movies. We actually saw The Invisible Man, Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, Phantom of the Opera, all these monsters, uh, the Swamp Thing. Uh, but the biggest one that we got to see was the Wolfman, and a lot of these modern the weaknesses and resistances like the silver, the full moon tie-in, the transformation, the painful transformation were all solidified in this set of movies throughout the 1940s. And Lon Chaney Jr. was the only actor to play his universal monster the whole entire time throughout these 1940s movies. So another great fact. And he considered it his baby. The Wolfman was his. So as we wrap this up, we definitely uh, got to see a real big look into the Lou Garou. I'll, of course, be tackling a lot of these bigger monsters that we see throughout history, such as vampires, zombies, that uh, can't really be summed up. The werewolves were kind of the easiest because, while I love them, they are great monsters. I consider myself a little bit partial wolf. Uh, we haven't really seen a big change with these, and the variety doesn't get to be as big as some of these other ones. So I wanted to start here. We'll be tackling these a little bit more in the future. Uh, but I do hope you enjoyed this look into the Howling Beasts of the Night. The Lugaru, the Werewolf. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Fairy Tales, written and produced by me. Music, as always, is provided by Nicholas Gasparini. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you do enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, as well as leave me a five-star rating and review. Uh, every little bit of feedback helps, plus the reviews and ratings do get seen and allow the show to get more exposure and get seen. So if this is something you do enjoy and want to support, that's the biggest way you can show me. Uh, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at FearyTales13. Also, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash FearyTales. And you can take a look at some of the rewards and goals that I'm trying to hit and uh, some things that we have. For the last few weeks, I was releasing mini-sodes on Friday, which are one of the Patreon rewards and something I would love to keep going, featuring some short stories and some other little tidbits that we find in short episodes for Friday. So definitely take a look at that and uh, see what you feel. 
One last reminder that I am taking submissions for original stories. So if you would like to collaborate, learn what kind of themes I'm going to be touching on soon, what kind of stories I'm looking for, I definitely love to hear from you guys. Uh, my email is fairytales616 at gmail.com. So send me a message over there, just asking any questions that you may have, wanting to discuss any things, or any other topics or themes that you guys might have, as well as some recommendations, because I'm always looking for new things to discuss. So once again, I thank you for checking in to Fairy Tales, and I hope you guys have a very frightening night.